Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. This year marks the 50th anniversary of an album that changed music. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Father, Father, we don't need to escalate. What's Going On is a revolutionary album. First of all, its sound was like nothing that had come before it. And then its theme, it was one of the very first concept albums, and it was certainly was the very first ever concept album devoted to social justice. And remarkably, the topics explored on What's Going On are just as relevant today, 50 years later, as they were back in 1971 when the album was released. War, racism, drug addiction, police brutality, class, poverty, the environment. Listening to the album now, you'd think it was written about today, but this came out during the height of the Vietnam War, during a much different time. Even the act of getting this album out to the world was revolutionary because when Marvin Gaye first recorded What's Going On, the song, Barry Gordy, the head of Motown Records, didn't want to release it. He wanted Marvin to remain a, a sort of a clean cut pop star singing love songs at Motown, but Marvin Gaye felt very strongly about getting his message out to the world. And by sticking to his guns, he gave Motown one of its biggest hits and certainly a legendary, timeless album. So to discuss what's going on and the life and career of Marvin Gaye, we are joined today by David Ritz. He is the author of Divided Soul, The Life of Marvin Gaye, considered the definitive biography of Marvin Gaye and one of the best music biographies of all time. David Ritz, thank you for joining me. I am um, happy to uh, be here and appreciate the invitation. So just we are 50 years from what's going on, Marvin Gaye's masterpiece of an album. And I'm just wondering, if, you know, on this in this anniversary year, your reflections on this album, how you look back on it now. Well, I think I love it more than ever. I mean, I remember when it came out and I got it and I went to the store and I bought it and I took it home and I put it uh, uh, on and I listened to it maybe 10 times in a row and I couldn't believe how good it was. I mean, I was just thrilled and surprised. And it's like when I saw Hard Day's Night with the Beatles. I mean, it's a very inexact uh, analogy, but I didn't know the Beatles could do that. I, mean, I didn't know they were humorous and ironous and all that. And in a very different way, of course, you know, what's going on is obviously a deeper kind of piece in Hard Day's Night, but it, 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 it opened up my eyes to the kind of depth of Marvin's artistry and the complexity of his thought, um, the journey he took us as, as, as everybody knows, it begins at, uh, the album begins at a 
party and it ends in church. So there's this trip that you go on. And, and, and um, I would have thought by now I'd be tired of the trip, but I, I, I think the trip is um, emblematic of our daily lives. You know, we begin in kind of frivolity and we're trying to move to some kind of sacred union, at least I am, and, and we get off track and we get high on drugs, as he did, as I did, as a lot of people did, and we get back on track. And, and so it's, it's, it's got, um, it, and here comes, a, 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 here comes a, another ludicrous analogy, but it's got a little bit of the divine comedy aspect to it, where you're going from hell to heaven and you're going through purgatory. And, and so anyway, there's um, um, the piece has uh, movement. It's not static. It's, it's, it's not predictable. And like the Divine Comedy, where he's in hell, he takes a left turn, he takes a right turn, but he's always moving up. And, and, and I think it's true of of what's going on that 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 it's ultimately is aiming towards some kind of of a spiritual resolution to a human problem which is in the case of marvin gay not to go crazy and i think it was true of 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 uh, of uh, um, dante as well uh, and it's certainly true of me. I mean, I mean, my aim in life is not to go nuts. And Marvin, in beginning this piece, was coming out of a very deep depression. Marvin um, suffered with depression his whole life, and one of the and 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 to me, what keeps him going, what kept him going in composing this against. Um, against this, uh, the uh, Motown um, hierarchy uh, that didn't um, uh, want this album out, I think what kept him going was he knew his sanity depended upon um, um, the creation of this piece. Uh, uh, in doing it, uh, it was his way to kind of stave off what was a very debilitating depression. Very long answer to a short question. <laughs> well, look, I could talk about this album all day. Um, so talk to us about how this album came to be. Marvin is known as a, you know, a crooner. He's uh, clean cut. He's had a lot of pop hits for Motown. I heard it through the grapevine, ain't no mountain high enough. But then all of a sudden comes this, you know, socially conscious, album marvin's on the cover he's sporting a beard for the first time how did this album come to be uh you know and what was marvin going through at that point in his life and uh, obviously as a part of this is the influence of his brother frankie who had recently come back from vietnam well yeah there's a whole lot of elements but let's go back a tiny bit earlier heard it through the grapevine was a breakthrough for marvin he had had hits but he had never had a hit like that and that hit was the biggest hit in Motown history at that point, you know, just selling millions and millions of copies of the um, single. So that gave him a kind of a um, leverage that he didn't have before. So that that happened a couple of years or a year and a half before he began working on what's going on. Then the um, 
the culture of Motown, which was producer um, uh, centric, uh, continually rubbed him the wrong way. He was an artist and he didn't want to be controlled by producers. Um, and he wanted to be his own producer. And, and Motown, as we know, was begun by a songwriter producer, uh, Eric Gordy, and the producers were in charge. And the artists were chosen by the producers to sing the songs that they had written. So he was beginning to rail against that. Then uh, at around the same time, a little bit earlier, he had all these hits with Tammy Terrell, which were also monster hits, and she died, and she died unexpectedly, and, and, and um, uh, though they were not um, um, intimate, they were very, I mean, they were intimate, but they were not um, uh, sexually intimate, they were very close uh, friends, and he felt such a, a close professional a close uh, relationship with her. He, he enjoyed a close relationship with her. So all of this kind of resulted in a, a, um, a block. He, was, he, he experienced at the end of the 1960s a, per, a kind of an, an emotional paralysis and wasn't sure what to do next. But he knew he had to redefine himself. And I think part of him wanted to reinvent himself as something more than a cog in the Motown machine. Um, uh, Obi Ensign of, of, of the Four Tops had seen a protest, had was conscious of what was happening, uh, had scribbled down a, some uh, um, uh, what's going on line um, began, uh, came to Marvin with the beginnings of a protest song. Uh, Marvin was typically a collaborator. Um, it was hard for him to get started on his own. So often it, 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 I would describe his, his creative process was one in which someone would uh, spark an idea. I know that's happened to us when he and I wrote uh, the actual um, healing. You know, I came up with that title. He got all excited and he took it and created this great uh, song. So I, 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 I think the same thing happened, and it happened with Ed Townsend with uh, "Let's um, Get It On." Happened with uh, Leon Ware with "I Want You." So um, that's what happened um, at the end of the nineteen. Uh, 60s, when Obi came to him with this idea of what's going on and a protest song. At the same time, his brother had been, uh, was in Vietnam and had written Marvin uh, about the war and what it was like and was just returning. So Marvin, who had a very literary um, sensibility, got the idea of instead of Marvin Gaye being the protagonist of the story, he would imagine his brother, a returning Vietnam vet, being the protagonist. So the genesis of the story is his brother and, and his brother's experience in Vietnam and what's it like to return to this country um, uh, after being in war. And uh, that 
isn't strictly adhered to. In other words, he begins with his brother's character, but then he, ex and, and I try to be coherent, uh, but it's uh, a difficult thing to describe because Marvin's an abstract artist and an abstract kind of narrator. So the narration gets abstract, but the character of Frankie, his brother, at a certain point becomes more general, general, generalized and becomes African-American men or American men because this character who comes back um, and has to deal with the reality of America after being traumatized gets high on dope. So there's for flying high in the friendly sky. Yeah, flying high in the friendly sky. That's not necessarily his brother anymore, but it could be any returning vet or anybody who is living in the neighborhood and and inner uh, um, Eddie Blues is another song that um, talks about um, the difficulties of growing up uh, uh, African American in 1970, 1971. Crime is the piece of trigger happy. Police. Panic. Who knows? It's ready. God knows why. We have it. But again, these tropes are ever metamorphosizing going from the challenge of finding a job of of um of um dealing with um economic uh, um prejudices we find ourselves going from that to um ecological concerns and suddenly ex yeah, in Mercy, Mercy Me. So suddenly what uh, was a story of a black man coming back from Vietnam is turned into a, a, a kind of very evolved Marvin Gaye uh, reflecting upon ecological issues and environmental issues.
And that doesn't bother Marvin. I mean, one of the reasons I love him so much as an artist is that, you know, he just kind of goes with the flow. And so now he's flowing from um, economics and drug addiction into ecology. And ultimately, um, he will flow into the current of what seems to me to be um, uh, Christianity. I, I, I mean, uh, what's going on is a Christian album. It's rooted in Christian ethos. It calls out the name of Jesus. Um, and it is, it, it, it is uh, in the first time in his career, you know, it began as a gospel singer in Father's Church and he sang with Bo Diddley, then he sang Do Wop uh, uh, with Harvey Fuqua before he came to Motown. But it's, it's really the first time as an adult where he embraces and articulates his, um, his uh, Christian roots. However, it's idiosyncratic or it's non-denominational or it is whatever word. It's, it's hardly evangelical Pentecostal uh, Christianity in which he was brought up. It is, uh, uh, it's um, free form, prayer, meditation, uh, I don't know what to call it. Talk about my father. I didn't know that was all. Thank you. Because God is my friend. When we call on him for mercy, he will be merciful. It's interesting, too, because from a musical point of view, just kind of switching track for a minute, if I can, one of the um, things that, that, you know, it's interesting when What's Going On came out, it didn't get all good reviews. I remember Robert Criscow, who I respect a lot in the Village Voice, didn't like it, uh, it thought it was goopy. Time magazine said it was goopy, all these strings. And, and actually, to a large degree, and there's a lot of people now who criticize what they call smooth jazz, you know, Kenny G or David uh, Sanborn or Dave Koz or, but to, to a degree, and I argue with them because I, I think there's a lot of good smooth jazz. So I love traditional hard bop and bebop and everything else. Uh, I, like all genres, there's good things in all genres. However, getting back to what's going on, you could really look at what's going on as one of the first examples of uh, smooth jazz. Listen to the opening. Listen to it. It, it employs uh, the texture of jazz, but in a smooth, non-kind of dominating way. You mean that horn riff on what's going on at the very beginning? 
Exactly. So it's all chilled out. It's not hard bop. Uh, it's not, and, and and it's very, and its harmonies are very in jazz uh, informed so that a lot of the criticisms is got of being too corny or goopy or uh, um, eropy are the criticisms that would be um, later applied to smooth uh, jazz, but it's endurance. And I think the reason we're talking today about it a half a century after it's put out, it's endurance in addition to the strong content that we hold on to. We're always trying to understand what it means and, and, and there's uh, meat on the bone. So there's, you know, it's got content, but from a musical point of view, it's extremely seductive. You want to keep listening to it. It is, it feels, it feels good in your ears. It, it's easy to digest. It's accessible. And it's, ex, it's accessibility is built upon um, a Sade. Think about Sade later on. I mean, Sade got a lot from what's going on. I mean, it, 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 it draws you in. And, and, and so that, um, that makes it a very unique piece. Um, you think of other iconic um, jazz albums like Kind of Blue or, or Miles Ahead or Blue Train. These, these are very, very different. Um, uh, what's going on is a hybrid of, 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 of a whole lot of different stuff. And on top of that, what really puts the icing on the cake from a musical point of view is Marvin employing his different voices and harmonizing him and 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 he's his own background yes. uh, um, group and as uh, Mokiri Robinson pointed out um, this is the first time he'd ever heard anybody do that so instead he's of basically hiring, he's basically duet like he's basically singing like a duet with himself right and, and that was a trio a with himself and a quartet with himself so he's kind of stacking his vocals because of course he learned to do that because he came up on uh, on doo-wop which is all about tight harmonies but that he's learned to do that now for the first time and so that both has a technical musical element uh which is that it's beautiful that harmony is beautiful and and uh, um, lush, but it also has a psychological element that Marvin had a lot of uh, arts to him, as we all have a lot of different parts to ourselves. And he was never able to harmonize his personal parts in his life. Part of him was aggressive, part of him was passive, part of him was this, part of him was that. But musically, he's able to give voice to these different parts of himself and musically he's able to harmonize the um the the um disparate aspects of himself and that's another reason why it's such a beautiful so wheat of songs that you have a wholeness that you have a marvin gaye wholeness that there that even though 
the the songs speak of conflict, the music is resolved. The music is harmonious. And that makes you want to listen to it. And, and it feels good. And it chills you out. It relaxes you. It inspires you. So um, I don't know, man. I can't say enough good things about it, except that I'm amazed that, it, you know, we'll get done talking today and I'll go and I don't, I just want to stop talking now and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, listen to it. You know? Fair enough. I'm always, you know, when I listen to that album, I'm always struck, aside from just how beautiful it sounds and how uh, revolutionary it was sonically, yeah, just yeah. the themes, how resonant the themes of that album still are today, 50 years later. I mean, uh, war, police brutality, racism, drug addiction, the the environment, which I don't think anybody was talking about back then, or, or at least certainly not nearly as many people were talking about it back then as they are now. Um, and uh, and then there's a whole personal side to that album too. You knew Marvin well. You spent a lot of time with him. Did he know? Did did the revolutionary nature of that album and just what a masterpiece that was? Did he did he know that? Like, was he aware of what an amazing album he had made? And how did how did he how did he how did that album how did that album impact the rest of his life? What was his relationship to it? I think it confused him. I mean, I think he was uh, obviously thrilled at the success because he was aspirational. You know, he aspired to be a popular artist. He was a popular artist, like all artists. He wanted to be loved and he was loved, but he never really um, got it together from a psychological point of view. And uh, the pressure to do another one uh, kind of mounted. He did redefine himself as a very important, so, so um, areas artist, and um, he did another um, follow up to it called "You're the Man," which came out during uh, the Nixon McGovern uh, presidential thing. Was a um, a uh, um, single, uh, which is great, which is a great song, um, and has some of the what's going on uh, complexity and intensity. But then. He and it's important to remember also that what's going on is the product of Detroit. Now, it, this is more context that may or may not help, but you know, everybody knows Motown. Motown is Detroit. It's Motor uh, um, Eddie. At the end of the 1960s, Motown leaves Detroit. Uh, Eric Gordy leaves Detroit to go to Hollywood. The Jackson Five are coming up, they'll record their big hits in LA. Gordy abandons Detroit, everybody's going, Diana Ross and Smokey and um, Marvin stays behind to do what's going on. So in, in addition to being a Christian album and a smooth jazz album and a lot of other cousins out, it's a Detroit album. It, it, you can really, uh, it, 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 it exudes the grit and the grime and the beauty and, 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 and the urbanity um, of Detroit. And Barry um, Gordy in Los Angeles doesn't want to release it. He doesn't want to, but the single gets out and, um, uh, and it becomes a hit, so he's got no choice because he wants a hit. But yeah, no, his initial reaction was, you know, don't go out of your 
explain your love man and keep singing love songs and do another duet with Tammy Terrell or do another Heard It Through the Grapevine. But again, Marvin wanted to redefine himself and reinvent himself. And he did, which gets to your back to your question, what impact did it have? Well, part of it scared him. Part of him didn't know whether he could sustain a career as an artist who was going to do one uh, um, Arius song after another. So he did, um, he was asked to do the soundtrack for Trouble Man. And remember, this is the era of black exploitation of, super of uh, Superfly and Shaft. So there's this beautiful aftermath that sometimes people forget about. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the most immediate aftermath, at least in long form of what's going on is Trouble Man, which is a beautiful um, soundtrack, mainly instrumental. And the character could have been taken out of what's going on. It's in the vein of flying high in a friendly sky. And it's a jazz uh, album. It's a jazz album. It's an abstract, but it's also a smoothie jazz album. It's not hardcore jazz. So it's a great album. But then what happens next? He hasn't toured. He doesn't want to tour. He has stage fright. Uh, Marvin never thought he was a great uh, 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 um, singer. I mean, he had real kind of doubts about his vocal prowess. So he was a purely recording artist. He loved the studio because in the studio, you can redo and fix and remix and overdub. So he moved to LA, he did Trouble Man, and then, uncertain what to do next, unable to come up with another what's going on concept, um, he did Let's Get It On. And Let's Get It On was enormous hit. It became the largest selling single in Motown history at that point. It outsold her to through the grapevine. And it was a wildly, uh, uh, it was it was a celebration of carnal uh, 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 pleasure and so on and so forth. So, um, and, 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 and again, I, I don't know how much we want to analyze. Let's get it on here. But it was it, it was a much deeper album than I think most people heard. The more you listen to what's going in on, you know, one of the most um, uh, famous lines of what's going on is we're all so sensitive people with so much to give. So it's full, of, on, yeah. it's full of emotional uh, uh, emotional uh, nuance, but its main theme is sex. And 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 Marvin had met um, the woman who would be who who would become his uh, uh, Ekin wife. Um, Jan, and he was um, excited uh, 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 sexually, and so he took a 180 degree turn, and and uh, I think for the rest of his life, it's fair to say Marvin was haunted by the fact that he never quite returned to what's going on. Now, I personally, as a student of Marvin Gaye's, as a really, I think I'm a good student of Marvin Gaye's, I love Let's Go, 
let's get it on. I love, I want you. Um, I particularly love here, my dear, which is this great div Ford's album, which I, I put, I don't know, as high a category as what's going on. It's certainly comparable in, 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 in terms of intellectual depth and emotional depth. So I think Marvin continues to grow as an artist until he goes crazy at the end of his life. But, but um, in his mind, because he was um, uh, highly self-critical and highly self-judgmental, I don't think he ever felt is he, I don't, I don't think he ever um, felt as though um, he got, he returned to what's going on. I think he felt as though he lost his way. Uh, um, and um, it's too bad because I don't think he did. I mean, I, yeah. he was, yeah. it, I, I think his artistry um, grew and grew and grew. David, uh, I just got to put, is your ringtone sexual healing? Yeah, and I forgot. that's so cool. That's so so your your ringtone is a song is a, is a classic song that you co-wrote. Well, it earns me I think half a dollar or half a um, cent <laughs> every time it rings. So I try to get as uh, many calls as I can. <laughs> well, I'm happy. I, I I apologize for not calling you. I only emailed yeah, you. So okay. No. Uh, so. But there is there is one follow up to what's going on that wasn't released during his lifetime. It came out actually last year. So you mentioned you're the man, the, the single about Nixon, but that was put out as an album last year. Uh, it does have political songs. Was that meant as a full album, as no, a follow up no. to what's going on? No, no, no. no he had did uh, he had done bits and pieces. Um, Marvin typically did bits and pieces, um, uh, but there was no in his head there was no completed concept album that would be the uh follow-up one of the great bits and pieces which i forgot to mention uh is uh vulnerable which an album of his singing um standards which he began way before what's going on before he learned to overdub and he's singing songs like The Shadow of Your Mile. You know, he's singing songs from the Great American Songbook. And then uh, when I met him in 1977-ish, towards the end of 1970, he was still working on it. And he was able to, at that point, apply the overdubbing and the various voices and the harmonizing. And it came out after his death uh, and it's called Vulnerable. And to me, it's, it's, it's up there with the great Marvin Gaye uh, master uh, pieces. And he always used to, you know, he loved uh, Frank Sinatra and, and, and he loved Jimmy Scott and he loved a whole lot of great uh, Alice, uh singers and Nat Cole particularly. And I used to tell him when we listened to this Vulnerable together, they can't do this. I mean, as much as I love Frank Sinatra and I love him to death, he can't do four-part harmonies like this. And so I'd urge everybody to go out get, get a copy of uh, Vulnerable, which is to, is, is to me up there with Here My Dear and What's Going On and Heard It Through the Grapevine and all his great work. Did, uh, did Marvin ever talk to you about where his 
distinct vocal ad libs came from. What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? Oh, what's going on? Ah, mean, right on, baby. Woo. Right on, baby. But they just sound like they come from such a deep place. I'm wondering if you ever spoke about that. Well, yeah, he did. I mean, and I think that Marvin um, was a pretty traditional R&B artist. I don't mean he was not a traditional. He was very untraditional R&B artist, but he respected the tradition. So he grew up on Clyde McFadder, on um, Little Willie John, on um, Sam Cooke. So he understood um, the individuality of of um, licks, of vocal licks, of vocal riffs, how it's the R&B tradition, which comes out of the gospel tradition, that you will come up with your own lick, your own kind of scat, your own kind of phraseology. And so he studied those people closely. And of course, Harvey Fuqua, who had Harvey in the Moonglows, is one of the premier doo-wop groups, was a superb vocalist in his own right, and who was very kind of uh, deep in that tradition. So um, by no means did this come out of nowhere. Now, I think Marvin, who could spend countless hours uh, in the studio, uh did and i think you're exactly right i mean he did dig deep to come up with his own riffs his own licks and he did and i do think they are like um spiritual old time spirituals or 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 um uh um field um hollers they they do come out of the depths of his of his um, soul that they have a quality of moaning and groaning. There's a prayerful quality to them. There's a longing quality to them, uh, and 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 so I agree with you. They're extremely, extremely um, deep, uh, but they are the product of a highly um, educated man in terms of the vocal tradition that gave him birth. So let me ask you about Hear My Dear, because this is actually the album that brings the two of you together. Right. And, right. All, you know, it's personally my favorite Marvin Gaye album, even oh, though, good. Oh, you good. Know, I mean, I mean, even though I recognize what's going on is. No, like no, a, I'm that way too, man. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's just, yeah. yeah but and I it. think you could argue that it's, it's revolutionary and not in the same way, obviously, as what's going on, but you know, whereas what's going on is revolutionary for so many reasons. It's a yeah. concept album. It's so political. It's so socially yeah. conscious. Here, my dear, it is, I mean, had there been an album that personal up until that point? I don't know of one. Now, you could look at the, for Frank Sinatra albums, um, uh, Songs for Lonely Lovers, where whatever that's called, where it's got the Gordon Jenkins dress, where, you know, Sinatra's chasing after Ava Gardner, and he's got the blues, and it's some of those beautiful uh, Alice singing ever. However, the difference there is he's 
singing songs written by other people and he's autobiographizing them uh, by pouring his tears into those songs. Marvin's case is entirely different because Marvin is taking the sort of narrative of his di of his div divorce, which was a, a, a extremely vituperative. I mean, it was ugly divorce. It was uh, 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 rancorous, and he's turning it into a suite of uh, songs. Just very briefly, for the people who don't know, the story is uh, Marvin was married to uh, Ari Gordy's older uh, sister, uh, 18 years older than him. He fell in love with Jan, 18 years younger than him, uh, and he's divorcing Anna. Uh, to marry uh, Jan and they all hell breaks out. It's ugly divorce. And he goes to the judge and he says, I'm broke, which he was because he didn't know how to manage money or he didn't, he just didn't manage money well. And the judge said to Marvin, you're never broke. Give her the proceeds for your next album. And Marvin said, okay, I will hear my dear. So he's giving her the proceeds for this album and he will, his intention was to do an album that nobody would listen to so it wouldn't sell so there wouldn't be any money to give her but being the great artist that he was he got into it and suddenly it's the only time he ever did a two lp album uh suddenly the world opens up and he uh exposes his soul and anger and grief and transforms his rage into a work of i think of enduring beauty uh some of those albums on there like anger anger is one of my favorite songs me too and 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 anger i use it all the time man because anger is is to me the heart of the album in that it's the most trans formative of all the songs and the great sort of moral message of anger is we need to vent in appropriate places so we can transform in other words he takes his anger and he knows the words are anger anger will make you um sick children i said anger will make you sick children anger uh, and he releases his anger and we get to hear in live time right before our eyes or right in front of our ears we get to hear him turn anger into beauty yes and it's 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 like that's what we need to do, you know, yes. we, 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 you know, in in whatever way, whether we're calling up a pal and releasing our anger or we're writing a poem or we're uh, and and so anger to me is is um, uh, in, in an enormously important song in my personal life. And what's cool about the album, too, is on the surface, you might think he, it's just a bitter album towards Anna, his ex-wife but you know with a song like anger he's actually trying to work through his own demons exactly trying to take responsibility for for his own failings and his own troubles and he there's also time to get it together yeah, when he's yeah. like imploring himself to get his life together to get off drugs and get off those mid mid 
Night hose. Midnight hose. But, yeah. No, it's it's it's. I I couldn't agree with you more, man. And and it's also it's got a happy ending. He's uh, falling in love again, and falling in love again is is one of the most beautiful songs of them. But again, you know, it is like, and why, and it's occurring to me now for the first time why it's analogous to what's going on. And I'm so happy you called me and asked me on this. Um, uh, to talk about it because I, I think I'm finally beginning to understand what they have in common. What they have in common is that they both take you on a journey. They're both they're both like the Divine Comedy. I mean, they both begin one place and end in another place. And so you're you just go on this trip with Marvin Gaye, and the trip begins. Okay, I'm going to talk about my marriage, and then I'm going to be angry, and then I'm going to um, then I'm going to call you a bitch. And then I'm going to remember the times that we luxuriated. And that, so in other words, all the vicissitudes, all the vicissitudes, all the emotional vicissitudes are of our human, not all of them, but a lot of the emotional vicissitudes of our humanity are expressed. And you begin at point A and you wind up at point Z. And I think that's why um um idiots like me can't stop listening to what's going on because we want to go on that trip it's like oh, oh, let's go on the roller coaster another time it's a hell of a ride you know and uh yeah and speaking of taking on a trip on here my dear he even takes us to space where him and anna get another shot in a different dimension a different universe on uh, funky space reincarnation yeah um it, 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 it's incredible. I mean, it's it's. I think that um, uh, uh, Marvin's and of course um, Marvin's imagination was really. I mean, I mean, he was a genius. And 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 I, I just want to say one thing about genius, and in 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 kind of compassion and tribute to Marvin. You know, I've known a couple of genius. You know, Ray Charles was a genius, and I think uh, 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 Risa was a genius. And and I've been privileged to get to know them really well and hang out with them for years. It's hard being a genius. I mean, I ain't no genius. I mean, I'm good at what I do, and 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 you know, I push the adjectives up and down the hill, <laughs> and 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 uh, I'm a hard worker, and 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 all that, and and I'm a good kind of craftsman. But being a genius, I've come to understand by being close to them, is a burden. And part of the burden is you just carry an enormous amount of creative energy in your head, almost too much for one person to bear. And and to remain sane with that genius energy coursing through you, particularly in the environment of show business, which kisses your ass and makes you rich and makes you feel like you're entitled to everything and confuses you and then wants to tear you down. You know, the whole American celebrity nutty cuckoo culture I mean, that's a hell of a thing man and 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 it you know it destroyed michael jackson it destroyed prince it i, I mean it's 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 and 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 i didn't know them but i'm you know i've read their stories um uh, but knowing marvin and 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 knowing in the end he did go mad um i feel like uh 
I understand why, uh, and and I'm uh, I'm uh, amazed and grateful that in spite of all that, he was able to leave behind such a beautiful uh, um, legacy of work. Part of the tragedy for me is that you know. As he's going through all this, there does seem to be, unlike other major stars in Marvin, a huge amount of self-awareness. Like he knows that he's dealing with madness, whereas someone like Michael Jackson, I don't think ever displayed the level of wasn't in touch with himself the way someone like Marvin Gaye was, you know, um, and life is for learning. You know, he talks about how the artist pays the price. He's he's living it out he, and he's singing about it for us. But yet he still wasn't able to to yeah. come to grips with it. Well, you're talking about with um, uh, well, A3 and Carter, Nation of Life is for learning. You're, you're, you're talking about In Our Lifetime, which is, a, which is another interesting album that came after here, my dear. And, and that's a great album, though that came in bits and pieces and it was released too early. It's got a whole story to it. But I love it. And I've listened to the hell out of it again and again and again. And I agree with you that Marvin, unlike... Michael was very self-aware and had a very sophisticated understanding of uh, of his own psyche. Um, he was intellectual. He knew the Bible. He knew the Koran. Um, you know, we talk about Shelley and Wordsworth and William Blake and and I mean Marvin was a really smart, smart guy. Uh, however, uh, he was arrogant and he didn't seek help. And the help he gave himself, well, I don't know if arrogant is the right word. I, I, well, there was an arrogance to him. It's an arrogance to me. I mean, you know, arrogance is part of human nature. But all I mean to say is that there are artists who will seek counseling. Marvin never sought counseling. And, and I think he was self-destructive. Um, I think he, uh, if we're winding towards a conclusion here, uh, he devised his own, his own demise. In other words, to be killed at the hands of your father was a plot that he created. He gave the father the gun with which his father killed him. He attacked his father knowing that his father would kill him. He wanted to die. He tried to, like, you know, Marvin tried to kill himself, jumping out of a car, it didn't work. So that though he was very self-aware, uh, he never, you know, there was a point during the, last tour, the uh, sexual healing tour, where he was coked out of his mind and um, uh, uh, crazy. And Dick Gregory tried to intervene and said, okay, I'm taking you off tour. We're going to go to a rehab place. I think Gregory might have had his own facility of healthy eating and psychology and you know good stuff that Marvin needed. And Marvin said, okay. And the next morning when Marvin was going to show up and go off with Dick to the uh, Gregory's uh, rehab place, Marvin never showed up and went on his tour. And, you know, eight months later, 
was gone. So it's a tragedy and, 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 and um, it's a tragedy that I think to a large degree had to do with his uh, Pentecostal upbringing, his, anyway, I could go on and on and on, but I, I'm wearing myself out. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I skipped over, which I didn't want to, was Please. actually how, was how you met, because, you know, going back to Hear My Dear, it gets some bad reviews. You actually wrote a letter to the LA Times defending the album, and that puts you and Marvin in touch. So yeah, no, maybe well, talk a bit about that, that and, and how you came to work together on the book and on sexual healing. Yeah, well, uh, you know, that was intentional on my part because, you know, I had, um, uh, I wanted to meet him really badly and I loved him. And, and, and here, my dear, is what really told me I have to meet this guy. Uh, and so the, the album came out, it was attacked in the LA Times. It was attacked everywhere. I don't remember a good review when it came out, but it was particularly a vicious attack. The LA Times is personal. No one cares about his personal life. So I wrote a letter to the editor answering the critic, in which I compared it to Charles Mingus and Ellington and Stevie Wonder is a great work and Ing Ingmar Bergman's uh, scene from a marriage. I don't know. I pulled out all what, whatever ammunition I had. And I was hoping Marvin would get to read it because I knew he was being it. And he did. And he called me and he said, who are you? And or maybe he knew I had read Ray Charles book. I can't remember. Anyway, that's how I got to meet him. And 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 I came over to the studio and he was um, working on In Our Lifetime that was called uh, um, Love Man was the original title. And it evolved into In Our Lifetime, which refers to the apocalypse. He thought the world was going to come to an end in our lifetime. And, um, you know, we just hit it off and started chopping it up. And he was great. And 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 and. Um, uh wanted to talk and and uh was deep and uh went on tour and asked me to go on tour with him and we made up our minds to do a book together and he had at that point he had read the ray charles book and he said this is the kind of book that i want to do uh but our for friendship the beginning of our friendship coincided with the kind of on uh Raveling of his life. He and Jan were uh, on the outs. Uh, this was marriage number two was collapsing. Um, he owed the IRS a zillion dollars. Motown was angry at him because he hadn't put out an album since Here My Dear. They were angry about Here My Dear because it, um, uh, in Gordy's mind, it attacked Anna. In any event, he moved to Hawaii uh, where he lived in where he lived on a bread van and was, you know, almost coked out. Then he went to England where uh, further and deeper debauchery. Um, and then finally wound up in Ostend, Belgium. And that's where I caught up with him. I had been in touch with him all this time. And finally he said, man, if you want to continue talking to the book, come to Ostend. So I went to Ostend, Belgium. And um, it was beautiful uh, by the North uh, Sea. And he had, um, he was healthier. He was healthier he, in, in, in England, he had almost OD'd, but he was still smoking pot, but doing a whole lot less coke. And um, in Ostend, um, he had quit Motown, uh, who had put out 
here um, in our lifetime without his permission. They put out an earlier version and he said, I'll never record for you again. And he never did. So Walter uh, Yetnikov, head of, uh, head of Columbia, gave him a deal and a million dollars, I think, to do his new album. And he needed a hit and he had written some things and he had a, a track, which he loved. And one night we were at his apartment listening to this track over and over again. And on his coffee table, there was a, 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 an art book, but the art book was really a kind of S&M pornography under the auspices of avant-garde art. And I looked at it in, in a kind of a judgmental way. I said, this is some sick shit. What you really need is actual um, healing. And he said, what's that? And I said, you know, you love a woman for the love and she heals you and you don't have to hurt her or inflict pain or wherever I was coming from, which was maybe a somewhat puritanical point of view now that I look back at it. But in any event, uh, and the track was playing and he said, well, that seems to go with the track. Why don't you write a poem about uh, sexual healing? So, you know, I wrote when blue teardrops, I don't know. I just wrote this thing in a hurry and he took it and he added some more words to it and the song was written and maybe 10, uh, 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 10 minutes or 15 minutes time. I mean, it all happened in a hurry. And, and, um, um, and, and, and then Harvey Fuqua came over to uh, Belgium, who was his original musical uh, mentor, and they recorded it and uh, it became a hit and it drew him home to the United States uh, and um, ultimately, um, he could not survive um, the, um, the return home. Yes, leading to his final tour and his, uh, the killing um, yeah. by his father. I, so I've kept you away over time, David. I really appreciate your time. No, I just want well, to do it. I mean, we could do this for another two or three hours. So that's part of the challenge. Yes. Um, also well, part of the glory of Marvin that he's infinitely interested. He certainly is. He certainly is. Uh, I could talk about him all day. David Ritz, I really appreciate your time. Um, and uh, I hope to be able to speak to you again about okay, this topic because a lot more I could I could ask you about. Uh, David, David Ritz, uh, songwriter, best-selling author. His many books include Divided Soul, The Life of Marvin Gaye. David Ritz, thanks so much. It was my pleasure. Bye-bye. What's going on, baby? Yes, I want to know yeah, what's going on right now, people. Oh, 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 oh. what's going on, brother? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Yeah, what's going on? All right.